All right. Hello, Idiots on Prey, the Too Ugly for TV podcast. Bonus podcast. Hi, Barrett Antar Goodwin, my good friend in New York City. Hey. How are you, sir? I am well. For those uh, new to the cast, uh, Barrett is a man, a fella I met at the Berklee College of Music. He continued being a musician. Now, how many instruments do you play? You you were a drummer when I met you. Now you're a primary bassist. You also play guitar. What else? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Guitar, bass, and drums are the main three. I play a little bit of keys, but really just enough to get myself in trouble. Fair enough. Um... And every so often, Barrett and I just have a long conversation about life, and uh, a while back we decided to try recording them on occasion, and that's what this is. So, um, let's just jump in. Do you have anything exciting you want to start with, or do you want to start with what happened to me yesterday? Not to me, but uh, just the, the, the very small minor event in my meager life. <laughs> let's start with let's start with your life and then we'll see where it goes all right uh so what happened uh yesterday we are recording on oh my phone is blacked out thursday february 27th so on the 26th actually tuesday night on the 25th i got a youtube comment uh, out of the blue that said hey i uh, heard you mention on the joe rogan podcast that i'd check you out you know he, he went to look at my videos and i'm like that's odd and probably wrong but okay whatever and then i woke up the next morning and someone had messaged me and said dude joe rogan was talking about you and i'm like talking about me okay this is fucked up um but if someone knows me it's not going to be a mistake and so i i I download the joe rogan podcast regularly i subscribe so i would have had it anyway so i look and it's a comedian named owen smith and i'm like i don't know if i've met him joe rogan has no clue who i am i don't think i know owen smith why would how would I come up? But then, because I don't know these two, here's what happened. Um, I started thinking negative thoughts. Like, what if I met Owen Smith years ago, and I was a dick to him, or he thought I was a dick, and just for no reason at all, oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, well, Nathan Timmel, he, there was someone I worked with. Yeah, he was kind of an asshole. He's not funny. Moving on. Or anything. You know, I have no idea why. And then, like the other week when you and I talked about blind spots, how... I listened to someone go on and on about all the lives, the things he needed to change in his life, things he'd been talking about for five years without making him change. This is, is this a blind spot that I'm finally becoming aware of where I said, wait a second, why does my mind go negative first? Why, instead of going, holy shit, I was mentioned on the Joe Rogan podcast? That's fucking exciting. What, this is, I got to hear what he said about me. I go, I, I listened to it. It was two hours into the podcast. That podcast itself was two and a half hours, maybe three hours. I don't know. And so I'm listening. And here's, here's the funny part. There were a couple teases. At one point, uh, the comedian Owen Smith says, okay, so I had this college gig in Iowa. And I'm like, ooh, ooh here it comes, Iowa. That's where I live. And then he tells this story about uh, you know his, his own personal story. And they go back to talk. I'm like, fuck, that wasn't it. But then, so what ultimately happened is, a while ago, Malcolm Gladwell, over a year ago, he gave in, He had a conversation with a friend, and he really shit on stand-up comedy. He said it was easy, and uh, it took no talent, and he, he said a lot of stupid things. And I wrote a blog countering all of his points. I went through and uh, wrote out everything that Malcolm said, and I countered it with the reality of the situation. And then that was it. I posted it and went on with my life. So... Owen on so Malcolm Gladwell was on Joe Rogan a month ago a couple I don't know a little while back not too long six weeks and I was listening going 
is he going to start shitting on stand-up comedians again? Is, is Rogan going to call him out for shitting on stand-up comedians? And the entire conversation came and went without anything. So Owen Smith, and I, I hope this is not too convoluted, Owen Smith gets on Rogan and at some point brings up, hey, by the way, I got a beef with Malcolm Gladwell and what he said about stand-up comedy. At that point, they start talking about it, and uh, Joe asks for some quotes. Well, what specifically did he say? His producer, Jamie, starts Googling Malcolm Gladwell stand-up comedy, and boom, up pops, up, up pops my blog. So they read a couple sentences. Joe Rogan goes, who is that? What? Nathan Timmel? NathanTimmel.com? Is Nathan a comedian? Well, Nathan's right. Nathan's right. And then they just move on. That was the entire thing. One second of airtime. But it was kind of neat. Like, when I heard it, I'm like, holy shit, they pulled up my website. That's fucking awesome. So why did I get negative first? Why did I spend two hours listening going, oh, shit, what is he going to say about me? Does he hate me? Is this going to, you know, spread negativity about me? Why do I go negative first? I mean, you know, it's interesting because in the past, like, since I've, I knew the story a few days ago or a day or so ago, I really spent some time thinking about that, and, you know, and I could do the whole normal, well, you know, it's you, it's you, it's you, and, you know, me with my whole, my new kind of, like, I think personal responsibility is pretty much the end of most of my bullshit. Almost everything that goes wrong in my life is arguably, if not my fault my responsibility to deal with and so i'm big on that in kind of every area of your life right in this particular case though i have to say as much as i stand by that in today's kind of cancel culture i think it's rather normal to be a little bit on edge when you hear somebody said something about you and you don't have a context for it, and you don't know those people. Now, it's Joe Rogan and this other guy, so you kind of know they're not of that cancel culture thing. But Yeah, he's notoriously a, positive you know, as a person. Right, absolutely. But just the initial fear, I it makes sense to me, only because we live in a culture nowadays in which that's actually a real fear for people. Like, for people like you or me or whoever, like, not even people who are super famous. You're just afraid to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Somebody's going to do this. Who's saying this? It's like we live in a world that is so engineered towards our insecurities <laughs> in a way, you know, that I kind of feel like it makes sense that that was your first response. Like, when you first told me, I was like, oh, wow, that's really too bad, and I had lots of things to think about it, and I was going to say a bunch of stuff today when we talked about it, but when I actually sat and thought about it, I was like, as much as I was happy for you, like, I was really happy when you told me my initial response was, holy shit, that's fucking incredible. Like, dude, way to go. That was really my first response, right? That was my first thought. But, if someone had said that to me, Oh, Joe Rogan mentioned you on his podcast today. My response, my thoughts would be, well, I can't control the situation. And I know that I don't know how to have enough information. And I know it could be negative, but I don't know that. So calm down and go check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here, I don't think I'm, I didn't mention this, but I, I assume you would have done the same thing. I didn't, I told my wife. I was, uh, I, I'm just like, hey, uh, I'm getting these messages. And she's like, really? That's exciting. Because she's an optimist. Um, right. 
and but I didn't tell anyone until I listened and heard that it was positive. And I don't know if that's cautious or smart or what, it, like you just said, a lot of people would do. But once I heard the thing, then I posted on Facebook, hey, holy shit, my name got mentioned on Joe Rogan. And I quickly explained the context. Like, I wasn't trying to build myself up like, oh, you know, Joe Rogan loves me. Just that, the, the accident of them stumbling across my blog. But I made sure what the context was before putting it anywhere. Yeah. And then this was funny. Analyze this, Mr. Uh, friend of mine. After I posted it, I walked away like I always do. I don't... I, I read about a lot of people living and dying by Facebook and Instagram likes, and fortunately I'm not like that. However, I did sort of scroll through this one to take note of like, hmm, who, who took the time to put a comment or say, wow, that's pretty cool, and who didn't for whatever reason? Trying not to judge, but like, you know, this is a friend of mine. Why didn't he take a moment to go, wow, that's pretty cool, or shoot a text, or, you know, it's that whole thing of, like you said, I'm genuinely happy for you. Yeah. There are people well. in our worlds, musicians in your world, comedians in mine, you hear something good about someone, and you split. You literally go, wow, good for him. Why doesn't anything good happen for me? I mean, it happens at the exact same time. I mean, you can be positive dude. and negative. And I wonder how much of that went through. Like, I'd like to get mentioned on Joe Rogan, even if it is a nothing mention. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, back in the day, if we go back a handful of years, right? Like five years, let's say. I would look at Facebook and I would see my friends who were touring. And my first thought would not be happiness. It would be jealousy. You know? Yeah. I would legitimately be envious. And then I would feel shitty about feeling envious of that. And I would like their picture. But I would secretly be like, like thinking to myself, not fuck them. I don't want them to have that. But like you said, why don't I have that? And I'll say this. Now I don't feel that way. And I largely don't feel that way because of the personal responsibility thing but more than that because i've just started well i guess it is that right i just started saying well if i want to live that life then start preparing for that life and live that life you know what i mean but what it really was is starting to design a life that actually brought me joy or brought me happiness and brought me a life that i wasn't trying to escape from so i wasn't really envious of other people's success because it's not actually what i want and if it is what i want i believe it's now coming Right, like it, it, it. That's what changed. Like I changed my whole kind of uh, my my mo around it. You know what I mean. And now I look at my friend's success, and I really have. I'm legitimately happy in a way that, like, it's actually funny because I used to think people were full of shit when they would be that way. When people, when I would meet people who would be happy and say nice things about people, and you really got the sense that they really meant it, I would legitimately think to myself man, this person's a good actor. Holy shit, I actually believe that they're happy. But of course they're not. They're jealous and envious just like everybody else is. But they really weren't. You know what I mean? But I literally didn't even believe it was possible to do that until I got out of that place. So yeah, I would imagine, I don't know who you're talking about in this particular context, but I would imagine that in any artistic field, particularly nowadays, where like attention is 
the what everybody covets, particularly on social media, I would say that I would guess a great deal of people that we both know suffer from that kind of thing. And I'll say that I don't suffer from it as nearly as badly as I used to. I'm genuinely happy for my friends. There are moments, though. There are definitely moments, you know, where, like, I see the success of a friend and I feel a way about it other than really happy for them. I don't like that about myself, and I'm really working on it, but it's still there, you know what I mean? It's still there. I just try to beat it into submission as much as possible, I suppose. By not even in a mean way, but more like just by getting my own life together and making my life something that I really look forward to waking up to. That seems to be the thing. It's not even, like, about them. It's really about me and what I'm doing in my own life, ultimately, you know. I want to go there back go. about a minute. Yes. I didn't want to interrupt yes, you because I please. really liked what you were saying and I wanted to listen, but something really caught my ear and I went, ooh, I, that's what I want to talk about. You said you would then like their photo because you felt shitty and you wanted to you know, project, I'm not that person. Um, and you said now you're in a place where you are genuinely happy because you, I think, said you are at a place where things are starting to come together for you or you believe that it's coming together. Is that how you phrased it? Sure. I mean, both of those work. Because, okay, so what I thought of is, and what I was thinking as I was listening to you and going, hmm, I really like what he's saying because it keeps it on the, you're happy where you are or where you're going. Because I, for a while now, I don't know how many years, probably about the time I met Lydia, my wife, I have been at a place where I am personally very happy and professionally I feel like I'm treading water. I feel like I'm kicking water uphill. I feel like I am nose to the grindstone doing everything correctly. And at the end of the day, it's Sisyphean rock pushing where I get it up the top and then it rolls back down. And yeah, like, like Sisyphus. That's what I said, Sisyphean, right. Um, oh, sorry, I missed that. That's all right. Um, so how is that a, a problem awareness? Because I'm very aware of it. So since you are making that shift, hmm, I'm trying to find an end around because I'm not trying to shit on your point. Um, I want mm-hmm. to examine your point. Personal responsibility is important. What can I do? Uh, you put something out into the world, and that's all you can do is is put it out there. But we do, you and I both, live in a world where we are in control of our jobs and our destinies to a point. There are club owners, managers, booking agents, record executives, people who can and will ignore you. And Absolutely. So... How I mean, personal responsibility, I suppose, is how you feel in that situation. Very quickly, to people that might not know, I'll give a quick background, something you know. I got dicked over by a guy that owned a comedy record label. Um, I submitted my album. He said, I like it. Let's put it out. He came to see me at a show. I had a good show. We shook hands. He said, let's do this. And then he disappeared. He ghosted me. I would email him for contracts, and he never got back to me ever I sent you know a half dozen and at some point it's like okay I get the message so where where does personal responsibility come in there when you deal with someone that outright lies to you or I, I suppose there's a difference between man this guy won't fucking book me fuck him he doesn't know music or comedy or whatever it is but 
I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm muddling through my words, but can you can you use it as a jumping off point? Do you know? If, uh, do you get where I'm coming from enough to to run with the ball as I pass it to you, even if it is a so. clumsy pass? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I mean, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, I I believe what you're. What it sounds like what you're saying is we are not alone in our destinies, right? Well, I mean, you know, as a friend of mine said the other day, very eloquently. We are, we are, we are kind of free to have our hopes, our dreams, our goals, and all that stuff, and we are absolutely entitled to none of it. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. That's it. And I was like, okay, well, that's harsh, but he's right. You know what I mean? Yes. I think that, and I'm not saying this about you, but I think in general, there's a sense of entitlement. There's a sense of, I believe it, and I want it really badly, and I work really hard, so it should be mine. That's right? the creative that's mindset, just, right? Anybody that gets right. into now believes that, yes. Right. And, and that's not actually true. Like, just because you work hard and you believe doesn't mean you're entitled to success you know what i mean it really doesn't right because it's more than belief in hard work it's arguably smart work and timing it's a lot of stuff but may i interrupt for uh, one second is that okay yes please yeah yeah i think the biggest thing is also and i can't remember if we talked about this last time uh but it's luck uh i read Leif Garrett's book, and in between our last two conversations, I read Elton John's book, and I think you and I have talked about this in the past. L- talent will keep the door open for you or give you longevity, but luck cracks that door open more than anything. With Elton John, he talks about the rejection he faced early in his career, and I don't remember the specifics, but in a general sense, he went to a oh boy, a manager, an agent, a songwriting publisher, someone, and they rejected him. And he said, well, do you have anything for me? And the guy said, here, get out of here. And he gave him an envelope. And it happened to have Bernie, what's the guy's name? Bernie Toppin's name in the envelope. And boom, they connected and became the legendary Elton John, you know, the the partnership. Bernie writes the lyrics, uh, Elton writes the music. And Elton talks about that. He said, if I had not put up a slightest stink, if I had just taken the rejection and walked away, or he said, if in that moment I had felt like, man, this guy's blowing me off, I'm just going to throw this envelope away if I had not opened it, if it had had a different name other than Bernie's name. There, there are so many things that happen, but luck is a big part of it. And that happens in many of the biographies of successful people I've read, where they were failing, 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 luck, and then success. Yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, but I, I, I don't think of, I mean, I suppose, you know, I think it's a, a faith and luck thing. Okay. I think you have to have a certain amount of faith, and I don't think that's the same as belief. I don't know what the difference is, but there's a difference there. I'll have to think about it to quantify it in some way. But I also think this. I think that luck is where opportunity and preparedness meet. Yes. And I feel like the people who are most prepared, because at the end of the day, if Elton John sucked, he'd have met Bernie and nothing would have happened. This is true. You know what I mean? Oh, the other, another and example. It, you, you know, know what I'm saying? The, another example I've talked about is Jack Nicholson. Um Mm-hmm. I think it was Robert Evans. He wrote the book. I know Robert Evans wrote the book, The Kid Stays in the Picture, because he was on a movie set, and the producer, someone wanted to fire someone, and the producer said, nope, the kid stays in the picture. And yeah. um, Robert Evans liked that power, and it was the same thing with Nicholson. I think Nicholson, someone wanted to fire him, or however it happened, he got lucky, 
and he got a gig, and because he was Jack Nicholson, he became Jack Nicholson. Now, if he had just been a fuck-up stoner, he would have had that gig and then gone away. But luck gets you that break. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, here's what, but, yeah, I guess when it comes down to it, I, I tend to think that luck has a great deal to do with it, right? Like, Paul McCartney and John Lennon and all them cats, they're all, had the the fortune of being near each other enough to make it practical for them to get together the amount of times it took for them to find the inertia to move forward. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because distance is a big factor, right? And they had the fortune to be born in a time in which the people around them were also doing the same thing and they could kind of tacitly give each other permission to succeed, right? Like, if you go see one of your friends and one of your friends does a bit that you had something similar, but it was just a bit too much. You're like, ah, it might be too much. And then you go see your buddy do something that's farther than that. You go, oh, and it just gives you permission to do your thing. I don't know why we tend to need that, but a lot of people need that. So I think that like in a scene like that, where you have Len, you have the Beatles and you've got the, you've got the stones and you've got Eric Clapton, you've got Jimi Hendrix and you've got like, like everybody, right? There was such a massive scene and everybody was creative and everybody kind of tacitly gave each other permission to keep pushing the envelope and do crazy things. I think that was kind of luck, right? Being born in that time period. But I can also say that in every time period, the most successful people who have stuff that is topical to that time period tend to always do well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't... Like, I think it is luck, but I think it really is preparedness for the world that we're in. And I read something that somebody said today. Somebody put it on Facebook. Um, don't raise your kids the way your parents raised you because your parents raised you for a world that no longer exists. And I feel that way a lot. You know what I mean? I feel like there's, I kind of got lucky that I'm doing blues and blues-based music because at the end of the day, it's making a resurgence. But if I wanted to do this in the 80s, you know, if it was the 80s and I was trying to do it, it I could be really, really good at it and it would only matter but so much. Do you know what I mean? And in uh, that way... Mm -hmm. I'm translating it to me and... um thinking of problems and part of it is i do very well everywhere i go but i have not um been on the coasts in a while and new york and chicago dictate comedy i do very well among people oh. with kids when i go to comedy clubs it's funny youth seems to dictate the trends on in los angeles and new york whereas whenever i go to a comedy club i look at the audience and i'm like Everybody is 30 and above, and most people are 40 to 55 or 60. It's, it's parents, it's couples, they're having a night out. The, the youth-driven comedy culture is not around in the Midwest. And I don't know if it is on the coast, because here they just watch YouTube or TikTok, yeah. or they don't go to comedy clubs. I mean, I would argue then, if not argue, but if we're coming back to the initial point, well, I no, would actually, say I'm sorry, that I'm, I'm sorry. That, that, that we talk about being relevant to your age. I am relevant mm -hmm. to my age bracket, and I am I am relevant to my region, but I am unfortunately possibly irrelevant to the powers that be. 
Well, I mean, but this is when we come when it comes down to personal responsibility. I'll take what you said. How does that affect you? What could you do? And I'll couple that with the statement you said. If you believe fundamentally that the coasts or major cities are what drive it, then you have to get out to the coasts or the major cities to drive it and see what happens. Because as you said, it you could possibly be, you know, out of that range. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you're not sure. You don't know. You know where you do well, but you don't know if you're going to do well in these other places. And so I think that's where the personal responsibility comes in. Find out. You know? Makes Go sense. find out. And, and really answer that question for yourself, right? Like, 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 do whatever you can do. Get a bunch of New York or L.A. gigs. Do that and find a way to, to spend a week. You can obviously stay with me. You know what I mean? Like, you spend a week out here and hit up 10 clubs and see what happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's that. Or go out to L.A. and do the same thing. Or book a week of clubs. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what it looks like in your world. I don't know how to do that in your world. I know in my world that's what, you know, that's what I would do. But in your world, I the ways in which they parallel, I would suggest that that would be what I would say in terms of your own personal responsibility. And the other part is the luck part. I mean... What I what I really believe, and I've really thought about this. It doesn't mean it's right. I suppose <laughs> it just means I spend a lot of time on the toilet. Um, but I I really thought about, you know, like we 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 think about like the '60s. We go, man, they were so lucky. They had then in the '70s, man, they were so lucky. It was and in the '80s, man, if I was an artist in the '80s, I would have been able to. And then in the and every every generation looks at the one before it as being so lucky, right? So it's 2020. In 2030, what are we going to say that in 2020 we wish we were so lucky we could have seen this, jumped on this, had an opportunity to whatever, whatever? Because it's here now. We just may not see it because we were trained to see opportunity in one way. And the opportunities that come up for us nowadays look different. Like, a slight digression, I suppose. Part of what I've realized in my own life is I generally get exactly what I ask for. What I do is I don't always recognize it's what I asked for because it doesn't come in the shape or form that I expected it to or I wanted it to. It comes in some way and it's not disguised. It's just there and doesn't present itself. It's like some like, you know, uh, something. Can you give silly, an example? Right? Yeah, like um and this will tie into something else, I suppose. All right. I've been in jam session bands for a long time, right? Like, been in the house band of some jams, some really good, some amazing ones, some really shitty ones, right? And I've been in shitty jams, and I would be saying to my friends, man, I wish I really had a place every week where I could test out my material. I need to go get myself a regular gig where I can play someplace, and I can do X, Y, and Z. While I was in a shitty house session, a house band of a jam session, which meant that no matter how bad it was, I could have got those guys to run my material when we started, when we opened up the night. And I didn't. And I didn't do it because I didn't, I wanted the opportunity to, to look better. 
Not because it wasn't there. I wanted it to look like something different. I wanted my opportunities to look more prestigious than they were. And because of that, that stopped me from recognizing, and not only recognizing, but taking advantage of the opportunities that I did have there. Like I spent so much time being annoyed that it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be that I didn't actually take advantage of all the stuff it could have been, which oddly enough would have made it a much better situation. Do you know what I mean? And in that way that is on me right like it's my responsibility to to not only want the opportunities but to see them seek them out and like really wring every opportunity out of every situation that i can as much as not to be an opportunist in that sense although that's i suppose exactly what an opportunist is right but not in a negative sense but in a sense of like if i'm at a gig how can i most get what is being like how can i educate myself the most learn the most do the most get the most out of this you know what i mean like what can i do to do that and i think that's really the the thing that i needed to learn do you know what i mean is to recognize that and i i so i would say that all right another example when i lived in new brunswick with Melvin and all those cats. We had a warehouse and we were so busy partying that we weren't rehearsing and writing songs and doing all the stuff that we could have been doing because we were so busy trying to live a rock and roll lifestyle. You know what I mean? That like we had the lifestyle of mu- of rock and roll stuff. We played lots of gigs, we did rehearsals, we had parties, we did all that stuff, right? It was like the 60s. But we didn't actually take advantage of it in a growth sense. Right, like we weren't able to take advantage of the time that we had to write more songs and build a small recording studio and make you know, I mean, like like other people took that same opportunity. That our heroes took those same opportunities and saw them for what they were. They weren't like, oh, cool, I have a cool pad here, I can have some rehearsals and bang lots of chicks. They're thinking, oh, I have a cool pad here. I can have lots of rehearsals and in my spare time put in a recording studio and write lots of songs until I get really good at it and then go, do you know what I mean? Like, well, it was a very fair, different mindset. To be know? fair to you, be f- I, I, it doesn't sound like you were beating yourself up, but you were in your 20s. And oh, sure. It takes an incredible sure. maturity in your 20s to have the focus you just described. And people do have it, and I'm not uh, discounting what you're saying. I'm just saying... Look at it with realistic eyes, not like, man, I blew this opportunity, but also like, Absolutely. yeah, it's, it, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't even think of it in terms of, I mean, it, it, they are blown opportunities, right? But like, whatever, right? Like at the end of the day, I can't say that I had a bad life. I can say that I really enjoyed myself and I learned a hell of a lot of stuff. Some of it good, some of it bad, right? But what I will say is that from those lessons, right, again, right, like, this ties into the resentment thing, and we're so like off topic now; it's insane. We don't but, have a like, topic, which is nice. Okay, <laughs> but like, what I've another thing I've realized in my life is the idea of resentment. If I look back at that time in my life with resentment, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. If I only did, then in order to keep resenting it, I have to hold on to the effects of my blown my realizing that i blew those opportunities right but 
if I don't look at it that way and I go, wow, I really learned a really valuable lesson there, and I start again looking for all the opportunities from that time period that if I really go back and reflect on, I, there's real powerful lessons in there for me now still, right? Then those things actually become positive things because they really inform my life now for how to actually do what I'm doing. And that's actually what I did. I started thinking about how fucked up I am as a person. Right, like, why am I? Why do I believe that I'm a reasonably attractive guy? I'm a reasonably talented guy, and I, and people seem to like me. Right, I've got friends and things like that. Why does my life suck? Right, why does it fucking suck? Right, like I seem to have all the markers for people who should have a good life. Right, why does my life suck? And so I started looking back at like my whole history and analyzing this stuff and going, oh right, because here's where I went left when I should have gone right. Here's where I said yes when I should have said no. Here's where I said no when I should have said yes. Here's where all these things. Okay, how many times did I do that? Wow, and this ties into what you're talking about with the blind spots. I kept on making the same mistakes over and over and over and over again because they were habitualized at that point no matter what i wanted to do my habit was failure like literally that was my habit was just sucking at shit being half-assed and fucking up and you know i'm not i was like right that's me you know what i mean like i'm the one who's causing my life to suck i've got all the stuff i need to succeed except the psychological willpower to deal with my own shit you know like, that was the one thing I did not have. Hold on, I'm getting another call. Uh, Alright, sorry about that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I really had to deal with that. And so that took a real heavy analysis of all the things that I had really done wrong, you know. And that really being able to let myself off the hook like you said look i was a kid you know what i mean what are you gonna do right i was young i had very little guidance i i can't that's not anybody's fault but it is my responsibility you know what i mean it is my responsibility to get my life together even if it wasn't necessarily my fault that my life looked like that there was a certain point at which it was my fault. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't say, well, look, I can say, listen, I, these are the ways in which my parents, my teachers, my friends, whoever failed me miserably. And maybe I would be right. Listen, I love my parents dearly and I love some of my teachers, but it doesn't mean, like, everybody just did the best they could. And sometimes people's best isn't good enough. That's just a fact, right? But there is a certain point in my own life where I could say, well, this is where my parents didn't prepare me. Okay, but how many years can I say that? Well, well my, I, don't, I don't know how to work with money because my parents never taught me. I don't know how to do this because my parents... Are, okay, well, sooner or later, I got to teach myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, sooner or I got to go find somebody else who does know. Shit, I got tons of friends who are good with money. Ask them. Ask them for advice. Be humble and say, listen, dude, you seem to know what you're doing with money. I don't. I need to be honest with you. I'm hemorrhaging money and I don't know what to do. Please help me. Right? And your friends will legitimately help you. They will absolutely... Like, if I came to you and I said that, you go, oh, dude, here's what I do. Here's what you can do. You would actually really help me. You might make fun of me a little bit and be like, dude, you're an idiot, but well, you'd I, still help what me. What I would have said was, well, you, you, you have 15 bases. You, you need one. <laughs> 
stop buying bases. <laughs> That's stop what investing I would have said. In, you say, stop investing in, in stocks that have no resale value, i.e. bases. Yes. Right? Take that same money and put it in some shit that's going to appreciate I remember it. that period of your life. Hey, I got a new base. Hey, I got a new base. Hey, I got a new base. Did I just talk to you an hour ago? What the fuck? No, no, you don't understand. This base is green. Oh, okay, well then. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, no, but, but it's, you know, I'll, in a funny way, like, I have a real problem, though. Like, I have a real problem with that. Like, it's difficult for me when I see things I want and I and I have the money, right? And I suppose having the money and being able to afford it are not the same thing, right? Yeah, cash in right? hand versus a savings account are <laughs> right. two different things. Right, exactly. But when I have the money, when I can when I can pay for it, right, even if I can't afford it, I have the money for it, it is it it has been difficult for me to say no to that. Like impulse control and entitlements and like I had a shitty life so I deserve this. This will make me feel better. Like all that's oh my god, man. It's like retail therapy. Like that's, I'm gonna buy this because it makes me not feel like a piece of shit. I'm gonna buy this because it makes me feel like I'm not a failure because I have these cool things and people who do have these are successful. It's like when oh my god, just such an utter load of bullshit cost me insane amounts of time mostly I don't know, the money whatever we make more money it's the time like fuck me man <laughs> god well read you know uh, I mean? read elton john's book because you and he are alike he talks about his uh shitty childhood not liking his mother not seeing his father after a while just not having a relationship with him at all and the instant he got rich he's like if i like it i'm buying it and yeah yeah he led an incredibly expensive lifestyle all right i want to go sideways i want to go back to something you said and challenge Uh you um yes you talked about living without resentment and i am pretty sure i do not have much resentment um i have little pockets of it like um I mean, I, I don't have much self-resentment. I, I have examined a lot of my... I'll give you an example. Uh, I have said a million times, I know one of the reasons I was not as successful as I could have been in Los Angeles is I did not network and socialize. I got that. That was completely on me. There, There's no uh, chip on my shoulder. Fuck you. Those guys didn't recognize my talent. I didn't hang out at the clubs. I didn't put in the time. I didn't rub elbows. That's all on me. I... I absolutely accept that so i don't have resentments um uh and 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 the other reason i don't have resentment is everything i've done in life has got me to this point and as i said earlier i am very personally happy right now so i i've never been able to play the game if you could go back and change one thing what would you change because say i changed that thing say i hung out at the comedy store all night every night say i hung out at the improv and became a successful comedian, then I wouldn't be a happy father in Iowa. So I'm not sure where I'm going with this because it, it, go, it goes back to what I was saying about being personally incredibly happy and professionally treading water. And I know we discussed it, so I'm, I'm not sure if I'm asking Ooh. something or trying to sound something out in my head. Um, it made sense when you were talking. When you were talking about resentment, the idea that, okay, what do you do when you're split? Because I guess in my head I was thinking, is it a totality where you are either resentful or you are happy or you are 
you can be people are complex i guess i'm both and uh yeah that's that's Hmm. the cross i carry at the moment let me uh, let me ask you a bunch of things, okay? And and I, I'm going to need you to keep me on task here because I have a lot of things to ask, and each one of them is a, a mind, not a minefield, but a fucking rabbit hole. Okay, and well, a minefield. If a man both, and right? a woman like one another, the pee goes in the <laughs> vagina, and then nine months later, and that's where babies come from. Was that your first question? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> with man and woman like each other and one of them has good insurance that's really what yes it is. <laughs> um so uh, all right let me uh, there's a series of things right um i'll tell you what they are in advance just in case i forget because i get sidetracked right part of it is i want to talk about the resentment thing the other thing is the belief thing okay so let's come back to beliefs right but resentment all right, so you don't resent the time that you spent in L.A. You don't resent that stuff, right? But do you resent the fact that now you have to do the same thing that you could have done back then? Like, do you resent the fact that now in order to have the same level of success, you might have to do the same thing that you could have done then? Because, And I say that only because I resent the sh- I For a long time, I resented the shit out of it. Like, I hated the fact that, like, like what I had to do is what I'm doing now. Not I hate it, but it really bothered yeah, me. Yeah, I don't you know? resent it, but it, it I find it offensive. Let's put it that way. It's one of those things where like, wow, right. I'm offended by this, but head down, moving forward. Right, but now is that what is the difference between offended and resenting? Offended, I think resenting is, man, I can't fucking believe I have to do this. This is such bullshit. Whereas offended is, wow, this is this is bullshit, but. Okay, I'm not. I'm sure. I I, I'm kind of gonna say that they are uh, different in degree rather than in kind. (laughs) But okay. But um, I think if you can step outside, I think resentment poisons your emotions. Where being offended, you can step outside your emotions and say objectively i don't think this is the way it should be i think it should be a talent based sort of wow this is good this is original this works let's use this but yeah, it's not so I what mean, are you going to do i mean that's just right that would just that's just naive right like like i mean you know like i, I have i mean believe me dude i i and i'm the same way man like I, i'm a music school dickhead through and through i don't like to i don't like it i don't talk about it none of that stuff but there are moments where I, you know, I'm like, come on, like, I can't believe I have to go through this. Do you know what I mean? Like, you must be kidding me, right? Like, there's a, there, for me, there have been huge periods of my life where I was just, I, I wanted, I, it felt unfair. It felt unfair that I should have to go through this after I went through all the other shit I went through to prepare for this. Do you know what I mean? Like, it felt unfair. And that's not true because, like, at the end of the day, I love it. You know, I'm like, oh, I should have gone on the road sooner. I should have done this. I should have started a band sooner. I should have done blah, 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 right? But at the end of the day, I can resent the fact that now I'm a grown man on the road with a band and we're doing our thing and we're playing clubs. And we're, it's building and it's working. But this is literally stuff I could have done 20 years ago. But at the end of the day, it's working and I really like it. Like, I think that if you can find the joy in going to the comedy clubs and seeing other people 
and making friends and hanging out and really don't look at it like work just remember that you liked your job well i and do you, have that that's i the see okay. again it's a split it's a 50 50 split I love mm-hmm. everything you just said. I love going to the comedy clubs, the bars, the one-nighters, anywhere there's comedy. I, these days, I am like all about it, and I show up and I meet the other comic, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? We're in the same boat. Sometimes they're like, hey, can I sell t-shirts? I know you're the headliner. I'm like, hey, you got to eat. Sell your shit. You know, like, I, I've never been one not to let any, but I'm like, I, I, I am all about it. My resentment or offense comes from everything behind the scenes as you and i've discussed a million times go to a place fucking destroy have everybody walk out going that was the best thing i ever saw you were so funny and you never work there again and you call them and they're like who are you and it's like right (laughs) Right. i'm disposable thanks oh man uh yeah i i i feel like there's a there's a part of me that that like like, I, I hear you, and I get it, man. Like, because I, I hate it. Like, I hate when we go somewhere and we play, and we fucking crush it. Like, you know, listen, we have our problems just like anybody, but when we're on, the shit sounds good, you know? And so we go, we play, we kill it, everybody likes it, and then the person who normally books it isn't there. They can look at the numbers, and they'll see the numbers look good, but... Our numbers aren't necessarily better than other people's numbers. Do you know what I mean? All oh, right. Our absolutely. numbers are the same as other people's numbers, except for the simple fact that, like, they weren't all of our friends because we're not from the area. They're actually fans that came, which that makes a difference. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. if a local band can put 150 people in a room or the guy and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that like that's what you do right that's how you you build your thing right like if you're part of a fraternity and all your brothers bring three of their friends and you can pack a place you fucking do it however you get those asses in the seats right but that's not necessarily the same thing like people having an automatic support system they can pack a place and actually being able to draw the people there uh, while the numbers look the same I mean, maybe it is. I guess it is the same to them. It's different to me. To the club owners, maybe it is no different. Like, what the fuck do they care? They're they're well, selling. I mean, really, like, they're selling right, alcohol. Like, that's all it is. Is they right, are right, we are like, conduits like, for that. We are commercials. Right, and and and, that, and that's the that's the hard part, right? Like at the end of the day, it's not about talent. Talent is not the driver in this industry. It just isn't in any of these industries. Talent is not the driver whether or not you can make people money seems to be the driver well and here let me let me jump in because Mm -hmm. i have no problem with that that to me is fine the problem i have is you talk about I'm, i'm thinking along the lines of someone that will draw people versus you know uh draw their friends people who will bring their friends with me i'd forgotten this until i mentioned it offhand a second ago i i went to a club years ago i don't remember which one it was but i recorded a cd that weekend because my shows were that good and uh, i've never worked there since because it's sort of a club that i worked an off weekend fourth of july it's kind of slow let's bring in this unknown but generally they're like you got to be on tv and i get that to a point i get it my problem is when i send everyone home happy when they're like wow that guy was really good those customers are going to come back versus the the people I know, the emails I get, the continual drum of 
yeah, I saw this guy that was on TV and wasn't that good. I'm like, yeah, because TV is not the end-all, be-all to comedy. Unfortunately, that is promoted. If you have the words as seen on, those are important words. That's it. So to them, they, they want the advertising up front. It's the get them in, sell them liquor, and send them home. Whereas in my mind, it should be... And there, there are different clubs. There's a club. The clubs I, there are clubs I do work. I'll, I'll give one a shout out. The Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase in Ann Arbor, Michigan, has been around, fuck, thirty some years or more. And what they did is they created a destination. It's not a. We have to go see uh, someone that has a, a credit on their name. It's we know and trust from this club having been there and built up its reputation that if we go, the comedian on stage will be good. He has built yes. that reputation. Yes. And so a lot of places don't want to do that. They don't want to put in the hard work. What they would rather do is is just, you know, the, the has seen on. You, you, you see this face? Yeah, it was on television. Come pay to see it. Sell them liquor. And then they may or may not come back because they did or did not go home happy. Whereas my job, as I feel on stage, is send everyone home happy or the greatest amount. You can't please everyone because then you just be pandering. But be confident enough or good enough to make sure the overwhelming majority go that was great i want to come back to this place and specifically i want to see this guy again but like i said with the ann arbor comedy showcase when they can get that that goodwill in the community that no matter who is on stage we trust the location and i find it sad and offensive i used to resent it that that is not the majority in this industry I mean, I think it's also, <clears throat> I think it's also just an old model, right? Like back in the day, you bought an Impulse record because you knew, well, Coltrane was there, and they only put out good shit, so that's what I'm gonna get. If you were into like that kind of like funk jazz stuff in the '70s, you got CTI records because you knew that they were gonna put that. If you wanted that kind of new age jazz, but with great playing, but kind of mellower shit like that stuff. Like, you bought a GRP record, you know what I mean? And if and you were in the 1980s, you got nine tapes for a penny, because right, they were only exactly. a penny. That's the first right. thing I thought of when you said you got, the, like, yeah, you'd, right. you'd buy Columbia well, House. Well, right, it's the, the, the joke is, I got my first record deal, man, I'm so excited. Um, it's like, I the first records, all first two records were all taken care of, and then all I really have to do is buy nine more, and then I'm done. Somebody said that joke on stage once, a musician talking about his first record deal. I thought that shit was so funny. You couldn't even say it now, because nobody would even get it. Yeah, nobody would even get the joke. Yeah. Completely right. sideways, do you know how do you, you got out of those deals? Uh, I just oh, this is the greatest them. scam ever. Uh, what, because you, they, you couldn't break a contract; they would not let you break the contract. They wanted you to buy the next yeah. eight tapes for twenty dollars each, or nineteen ninety nine, or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But what they did, and this was hilarious, and I figured this out immediately, like with my first, and I did it four times under four different names. Is you right. buy the nine for a, a penny. And then they say, you have to send in, and this is before email kids, anybody listening that has no idea what we're talking about, Google Columbia House uh, Record Club. <laughs> right, um, seriously. They would send you a packet, and you had to 
fill out a postcard with your name on it and either check the box, send me the selection of the month, or more importantly, do not send me the selection of the month. And if you didn't send that in, they would send you a tape and you had to, they wanted you to buy it. However, the end around I found was I just never sent anything in. So they would send me the selection of the month. I would write return to sender on it and send it back. So they would pay shipping both ways. And you do that four or five months in a row, they'd get angry and just kick you out. And you got your, 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 your eight for a penny and didn't pay for jack shit. Oh, it was great. Cause they were just like, you can send me this fucking tape. I don't want, I'm just sending it right the fuck back. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) So everything they sent me went right back to them. Oh, that's awesome. So before yeah, we run I, out of time, I, let's yeah. jump over to belief. And yes. we this is an ongoing conversation. We can talk about this for an hour a week, yes, every week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you... Uh, all right. Uh, I'll talk about me since that's my favorite subject, right? <laughs> uh, Ain't shit wrong with uh, that. Well, that's right. That should be my uh, catchphrase. I should take that to the stage. Maybe that's what's been holding me back. Get her done. Ain't shit wrong with that. Here's your card. Uh, post- what is it? Here's your card. Whatever that other idiot says. You, you, that multi-millionaire you idiot that's much more successful than me. Right. It's that one. Right. That one. Yes. That that's one. A, what's that idiot say? <laughs> um. All right. Here's the thing. Being a broke musician <clears throat> is very easy to do. Not because there's no money to be made in music, but because we're brought up in a culture that teaches us that there's no money to be had in music. Because here's what I'll say. Being a broke musician, I've had more than my fair share of pussy, right? There's dudes out there who didn't get some because I got it, right? Hell yeah. And I and well, I don't say, say that. Ain't shit wrong with that. There you go. <laughs> right? And I don't say that to be funny or anything or even say because it's not a numbers game and my numbers are ultimately not super high. I just know that I've had more than my fair share. That's all. Right? But what I mean is that, like, it was easy to do because the world supported me being broke. I could date women and they would buy stuff and they thought it was cute that they could that they could that they were taking out their broke musician friend to do stuff. You know what I mean like like people really expect that you date women and they're like, "Oh, I know you're not ever going to make any money. It's okay." And so no matter how 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 supportive they are, there's an underlying belief that I'm not ever going to make any money, so it's okay. Now, that would argue one change the quality of people you hang out with, right? So Obviously, that's step one. But but I will say that the idea of being a struggling artist is really well supported in our society. And because of that, it's very easy to do that because my belief system was the same. I literally believed I would never really be able to make money as a musician, even though I had huge examples of people. I knew more people who were successful making money, doing music and making money than I knew people who were failing at it. But my belief and everyone around me's belief was that it was okay to struggle and everybody struggled and it was always suffering and and you know just really shitty it wasn't good and when i started reaching like changing the way i believe about like i was like wait a minute this is ridiculous there's i know lots of people who make money doing music it's not a thing that you have to be broke at like and i changed the way i thought about it and changed the way i talked to myself and then all of a sudden things started to change that being said do you have a belief that you cannot be a happy father, husband, person, and also have a successful touring career. No. I believe full well that I can do this. 
my problem or my negativity is when it fluctuates as to what level I have in the past have had I'll I'll go as far as to say it out of body experiences where I'll be meditating or the power of positive thinking whatever you want to talk it and the feeling will wash over me and I'll explain one to you I'll just tell you about one that I I can remember it was so powerful it was like fuck I hate this phrase but I'll say it anyway touched by the hand of God where Mm -hmm. you just know something I mean you feel it so strongly it is embedded in you it washed over me one one moment I was meditating or just clearing my mind and then it was dude you can do this you'll be on Letterman obviously I've never been on Letterman so whatever that powerful strong beautiful feeling was and it was a beautiful feeling because it was not me convincing myself you're going to be on Letterman you can do this you're Stuart Smalley I'm good enough I'm smart enough and doggone it Letterman's Booker likes me (laughs) it was this it, it was a power that moved through me you hear about musicians that say they didn't write a song the song flowed out of them that's what it was and I was like I felt good for a week like okay how do I focus on this how do I get you know like something's happening and the the belief it's not that it went away or it faded. It was just like, you know, it, it washes over you and then washes off you and it doesn't leave you negative. It's like, okay, that was a powerful feeling. What do I do next? And I just said, all right, nose to the ground, keep working, keep moving forward and good things will happen. And and nothing happened. And it's like, all right, so pivot. Maybe I'll get on Colbert. Maybe Maybe I can get on Joe Rogan's podcast. Who knows? But I have feelings like that from time to time where it's just sort of, I want to say an outside voice speaking to or inside me like it's all good and then there are times when I say it fluctuates there's the negative voice where it's like fuck you know I'm just treading water like we talked about so I do not have any belief that says because I live in Iowa I'm going to fail I do worry that it is harder than fucking ever and I, I guess uh, the worst I have it is when I think the maybes, like, maybe it won't work out, and then that sends me down a negative path. But I don't have an overriding walking around like, oh, I guess I'm done, I don't even know why I do this, oh, every gig is hard to get, right. this sucks. I don't have that, thankfully, or Let me ask yet. you this. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yes. Do you do comedy to make money, or do you do comedy because you love being on stage and you feel like you have something to say? Both. Because before I was married and had kids and a mortgage, I just did it because uh, of the love of the art. And now I have a kid and mortgage, and I have a buddy that's walking away from comedy, and he's like, I have a 20-year gap in my resume. I am not qualified to do anything. Oh, and this yeah. brings me to something I wanted to ask you. We can start wrapping up on this. I thought it was funny. I listened to an interview I I won't say with who, because I've heard many people say this, actually. Not just one person. This was just the most recent person. It was a person, uh, and I think Elton John actually put it in his book, too, so I can throw it on him. But this was an actual interview. People that are late in life, 60s and 70s, who have been successful for most of their life, who got their success. Huey Lewis, uh, there you go, the cat's out of the bag. He was the interview. (laughs) He became successful at 30, in his 30s. who now late in life say, you know, I, I was it was great, I was successful, I loved it, it was fantastic. But I, even if I wasn't successful, 
I was doing what I loved. I remember being 20 and, you know, uh, playing guitar in a subway with the hat out or playing, as Huey said, harmonica across Europe and just begging for money. And even if I never got successful, I still got to do what I loved. And I'm like, yeah, that's fucking great because you were successful for many years. You are only romanticizing your downtime. What if you were 40 years old and watching all these bands break ahead of you? What if you were 50 years old and watching all these people like achieve much greater success than you ever did and you were still playing the same bars and or had your hat out in a subway? I just thought it was very funny the way the past gets romanticized when you are of a certain age and have been successful for decades. And I don't mean just successful. I mean millionaire successful. I have heard a lot of artists talk like that. Yeah, I mean, and I think think even the ones who are less successful, like when you look back at it, even if you don't romanticize it, it was actually really fun and very educational and really cool in retrospect, I think in some ways, right? But I agree with you. I think that there's a certain kind of thing there. And, and the truth of the matter is that, like, listen, I spent 10 years playing playing bars, clubs, theaters, concert halls in New York City, complaining about the fact that I wasn't in an original band that was going somewhere and I wasn't writing, but I was making a living, you know what I mean? I was paying bills and making a living and doing my thing and had a life, you know what I mean, as a working sideman in New York City. But my happiness quotient in my career didn't change until I stopped taking gigs I didn't want to take and I only started taking gigs I wanted to take. And you could argue that that's a certain amount of privilege, right? Like there are certain people who have the privilege to do that. And that's my next question. Do you have the capacity to not take gigs in which you can't say you're there 90% for the art? Yes, I I have radiuses. Like I remember starting out and I would drive eight hours for $100. And that's just not feasible now. Now I do turn down shit gigs. And let's put a bow on this with one final thought. Go all the way back to where we started. It's funny. Sure. Um, Owen Smith, the comedian Joe Rogan, was interviewing when I came up on his show. Uh Uh-huh. Rogan started the interview by doing nothing but singing Owen's praises, saying, Dude, I'm having you on because I love you. I've known you for years. You should be playing arenas. It's insane that you are not as successful as you should be. You should have a Netflix special. So this thing, it never goes away. It never changes, no matter what level you are at. Because Joe Rogan was saying, my God, Owen Smith, you are too good to be at the level you are at. And he, Owen Smith, is 10 levels above me. You're always looking further. Always, always, always. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that that's the New York City thing, man. Like, you go to New York, you live in New York City, and you go see music, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, I'm in the middle of a, a bar on a Tuesday night, and it, it's 2.30 in the morning, and there's a jazz band playing that is the some of the best shit I've seen in a minute. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it's actually insane. The talent level in these major cities, you go places, It's re- the bar is really, really high these days. The thing is that talent is not the driver. That's the problem. Yes, right? it is not. That's the problem. It's like you can have the most talented people. It's not. It is important. It is a major component, but it's not the driver. Whether or not people like you and feel good when they see you and all that shit, there are so many other drivers that are not 
talent base that like I, I you know it's hard to quantify that shit anyway well we'll, we'll talk about that off we'll air because I have a yeah. I have a joke to bounce off you so yes. let's wrap All it up right. and uh, visit Indeed. Antar Goodwin dot com, Antar musician, Antar Goodwin musician. Uh, Antar Goodwin, uh, no, Antar Goodwin dot com. Actually, and it's it's revamped. It's looking good. All our new nice. dates are up there. We just got back from Katie Cali. Henry Band dot com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Katie Henry Music Katie Henry com Music dot com. Yep. And on all the she's Katie Henry Music on all the socials. I'm Antar Goodwin or Antar dot Goodwin or any of those. Combinated. Not too many Antar good ones out there, so it's not too zero Nathan Timmels out there. There was only uh, yeah. two of us, me, and then when I did live in Los Angeles and worked uh, behind the scenes for property representation for filming, some uh, very nice person said, "Huh, Nathan Timmel, all right." And now it's a it was a character, a young like nine year old boy on an episode of CSI Miami oh, or CSI. Funny. Yeah, because they they just oh, basically awesome. stole my name. He's like, uh, "Who's that guy? That's the site rep." Okay, well, I'm using his name for my next script. Like, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> hilarious! All right, that's awesome. NathanTimmel.com. Uh, not as uh, not going to get as widely heard on this as it was the Joe Rogan podcast, but it was nice of him to. Who's that? Who? Nathan Timmel. Nathan Timmel. Is he a comic? Yeah, Nathan's right. NathanTimmel.com. All right, moving on. But that was an awesome moment. All right, that really was, man. That's dope. It was. It was a. Yeah. It was a neat thing. And now, yeah, it really is. And now, my brain, if if it were anything other than negative, would be like, yeah, but. Wouldn't it be great to get on there? Not going to happen. I mean, not because of that, but all right, let's say goodbye. Yeah, man. See ya.